Welcome back, friends, to the Mark Claire Show. My guest today wears a, a few hats, you could say. He is a comic book publisher and creator. He's an ex-military veteran, an ex-Disney animator, and he is the host of the Paranoid American podcast. He is Thomas, the Paranoid American. What's up, Thomas? What's up, man? Thank you. Sure thing, man. And, uh, you know, I think the best place to start, you're a comic book guy, too. So I just guess would like to know a little bit of your origin story. How did uh, Thomas, reg how did regular Thomas, normal Thomas, if there ever was one, become the Paranoid American? Uh, you mean the Paranoid American as in, like, likes comics or the Paranoid American as in being paranoid 24-7? Whichever one came first. <laughs> uh, it was probably the comics. The comics definitely came first. I don't think I was paranoid until... I found out. Are there kids that are there kids listening right now? There might I mean, be there kids could listening. be. I can't. I can't tell any parents what to do. But well, I, I, got <laughs> I would to say a, let your. I would say let loose would be my advice. Though. Okay. Go for it. I found out Santa Claus wasn't real. Oh. So once that happened, I think maybe, and I and I'm only maybe fifty percent. I don't even know how much I'm kidding about that anymore. It used to be like a funny segue, but now I really do think it might have been the first time that it was like my parents are in on it, my grandparents mm -hmm. are in on it, everyone I know and love is in on it, my teachers, at like literally everyone in my life was in on this big massive conspiracy, and a lot of people. When they hear conspiracy, they think of like a smoke-filled room and people are going to take somebody out. And that's fine. But I heard, a, I heard a quote. I don't even know the source of it so long ago, but it resonated with me. And that's the, if you really look hard enough, and depending on how paranoid you are, your parents planning a surprise birthday party could technically be a conspiracy. Um, and like hearing that actually snapped me back into reality at some point. But I would say maybe that was the origin of the conspiracy. And then I had unbridled access to the internet in the mid-90s. And there was impossible oh, no. to just surf the internet with no parental supervision and not come away a conspiracy theorist. So, What, what were the kind of things you were uh, stumbling on? Unbridled internet access in the 90s. I mean, I was on the internet in the 90s, but it, it felt very bridled, I guess you could say. I was doing the the AOL, uh, you know, logging in and waiting for my mom to get off the phone kind of thing. How how unbridled was your uh, your internet browsing exactly? Well, a lot of people didn't even realize this, but back in the day, even, even if you just had AOL, there was either an option, there was like something you could do that once you were connected to AOL, you could just minimize AOL and open up Netscape and then access the real internet and not that walled garden that was like that in inner AOL browser. A lot of people didn't even realize that for the longest time. I thought even, that was the internet. <laughs> well, you and a majority of AOL users, they just thought that whatever you logged in and it was like, you know, welcome, you've got mail. And then you've got like the eight categories that the eight categories plus the chat rooms. Most people were like, that's the internet. That's what it is. And they never really saw the, you know, GeoCities and um, the Alta Vista sites and all this other stuff. So once you got into that realm, that's what I mean by unbridled. And I mean, like, yeah, we had AOL and my parents had it. My Only my mom used it, but she didn't know that there was like this outside internet outside of AOL. And even if she did, I remember at one point they, she put like a parent lock on the computer and I just installed the key logger and I ran it and I found out what her password is and I logged in and I put her, I put the child lock on her account and I took it off of my account. Um, and You're then that was the last bastard. Huh? That was the last time that there was ever any passwords or checks because it was like I, I own this computer like I'm letting you use it. <laughs> All right, so I probably was doing this in like the mid 2000s by the time I was on what you might call an unbridled internet, uh, running into 9-11 conspiracies, that sort of thing. What, mm -hmm. what kind of conspiracy stuff were you finding in the 90s? A lot of it was Jordan Maxwell related. I didn't, I, first of all, I hadn't even heard of Alex Jones until the late 90s, and that was through his public access show when I was in the military. But in the, in the mid 90s, a lot of the conspiracy theories was lots of MK Ultra mind control related stuff. Uh, also, at this time, there was like this perfect point in the 90s where the cannabis cup had, I think this is like 97 or something. I'm just going to throw random numbers out, but it was in the mid, late 90s. 
the cannabis cup was like conspiracy themed high times was conspiracy themed x files was out there was a show called nowhere man um there was next edition there was just like a non-stop onslaught of all of these you know everyone's lying to you the government's lying to you and just the regular mainstream culture of the 90s it was kind of the in thing to just not trust the government and to just always assume that um, there was like something shady going on, you know, like the the faculty movie and all these movies where nothing is as it seems. It just felt like it was the norm to be into conspiracy theories. Now, it was at a very superficial level, but it it was there. And I think the biggest one was sacredtext.org. I'm pretty sure they existed in the mid to late 90s as well. So I came across secret teachings of all ages and with a name of a book like that, it was hard to not just be immediately kind of drawn to that. So that was, I mean, it was like dipping your toe into the, the nice warm shallow end, but, uh, that was kind of the foray. That was the origin story. I'm just thinking what my life would be like if I could travel back in time and like show my teenage self how to unlock the real internet. Cause I mean, I turned out pretty weird as it is, but I mean, if, if I was getting into those those uh, deep dark corners at that, that, that age, I don't know. Um, how did so? How did that early interest in the sort of unknown, the conspiracy world? How did that influence sort of uh, your creative endeavors from there? Uh, I was obsessed because I knew that trying to say this kind of stuff out loud you sounded like you were crazy and not the good kind of crazy, like the maybe you can't live by yourself or hold a steady job or maybe even clothe or feed yourself kind of crazy. So, And I realized there was like this, this turning moment when I really realized this is what I want to do. And it was, believe it or not, it was this interview between Jon Stewart and Tucker Carlson. And it was when Tucker Carlson had, I think it was Crossfire. The, anyways, they had him on there and they were criticizing him. And Jon Stewart dropped this, this blow. And they were basically saying, you know, you can't stand up for your beliefs or you can't, you know, you can't back this position you're making. And Jon Stewart basically threw this line out of like, dude, the show that follows mine are puppets making prank calls. And it was like a mic drop thing. And it was a ve- it was a very disingenuous way of freight, like weaseling out of having an answer. But I do remember too at that exact moment, I was like, oh, that's right. Like being in comedy gives you this cheat code where you're allowed to make really extremist, maybe very political opinions. But when someone tries to criticize it, now what they're doing is they're criticizing a comedian. And like, now you look like an asshole if you criticize the comedian. And it's, and it felt the same thing that like, if I can take this complicated research and things that I really do believe that I know sound silly and people will just want to, you know, criticize it or, you know, make it seem like it's silly if I just make it silly off the top, like turn it into a comic book where people are doing silly stuff. Now, if you want to criticize it, like you're the asshole and it yeah. felt that you're was the, the, an the seed. Now. <laughs> that was kind of the seed of it. And, mm-hmm. and at the same time too, I mean, I was deep into art. I was doing animation anyways, but it was lots of just like abstract stuff or I might doodle something. And then I just realized, Hey, why don't I take everything I'm doing? These random little projects that don't have, like a cohesive end goal. And what if I just focus everything that I'm doing creatively on, you know, explaining and illustrating and making music of conspiracy theories. Like that will be my lore and my muse. Like I won't write about, you know, grand battles of the civil war. I'll talk about MK ultra and I'll, I'll make that my thing. And that's kind of where it started. And it's, it's still going today. And where along in there, I know you, you kind of had a foray going through Disney. Where along there did you sort of end up, kind of finagling your way through the mainstream. I mean, I, I feel like I was in the mainstream before that. I mean, I joined the military. That's pretty mainstream, uh, I guess, the, depending. And then when I was in there, uh, even like, I was basically moonlighting at a recording studio and I really wanted to get into the music industry. And I found out the hard way that having a military career and working in the music industry aren't necessarily the most cohesive uh, career fields like they don't necessarily intersect in 
in ways that that lend to each other. So, uh, but that was kind of like a big step in, into kind of the commercial mainstream world too, because I was working with MTV, VH1, you know, working with some artists, like big artists that were on like Universal Records and Sony Records. And I had a few placements on some big projects. And that was actually kind of when I realized, like, I kind of hate the mainstream. I hate that, that this is how it works. And the answer was always like, hey, that's just how it works everywhere. And I just, I, you know, the, the payola was real. That one hurt the most because it always felt like a fake conspiracy that someone wanted to just complain that their crappy music wasn't getting any play. And then I saw payola just blatantly happen so much in front of me. It was like, damn, this really sucks. Like, I know artists that are legitimately good. And now this crap's going to get out there because the manager you know, bought some DJ, a jet ski and some Coke. And now that guy is going to get big. And that was just the story over and over and over again forever. So that kind of turned me off of the mainstream music in one of many different things. That was kind of like one of the straws that broke the back, but that was an aspect of it. And that's also, I was like, screw it. I'll just take the music and I'll just focus on things that wouldn't get popular anyways. I know that there's not going to be a popular song about, MK Ultra or Pizzagate or whatever. So let's just make that and put it out and and see what happens with it. And uh, so I'm curious, going back to sort of, you mentioned a lot of surface level conspiracies when you first sort of started getting into this stuff. And I think for a lot of us, it might start off that way where you just kind of see interesting things and you kind of get it into your headspace and you don't necessarily dive that deep or even know exactly what's real and what's not. But is there one along the way that, that sort of woke you up to the sense of like, this is one like, oh my God, I can't actually, I can't turn away from this one. I have to keep diving deep and diving deep because this is where, this is where there's something real going on. For me, NLP was a huge one. Uh, like I, for whatever reason, I really love the concept of mind control. And I also was a, like a computer programmer from an early age. Like before I even knew what I was doing, like I was, I, I just found an affinity towards computer programming and I, I saw NLP, and for everyone who's not familiar with this one, it's uh, neuro-linguistic programming. It's kind of turned into like a crappy sort of like high-pressure salesman tactic thing. But really at its core, it's it could also be like a self-help type of thing. But it's it's like a way of specifically phrasing statements and the way that you structure your sentences and even the way that you deliver essentially rhetoric like the the skill of rhetoric that's no longer taught in schools unless you go to like a debate class but this this whole entire field of nlp i saw it work on me personally it was i remember exactly what it was it was a tv show with darren brown um and i think it was on bbc and or channel four and he was having an interview um and he was asking, I think it, I, Simon Pegg, I believe, and he was asking him to come in and had like a five or 10 minute conversation. At the end of the conversation, he asked him, what do you want for your birthday? And without hesitating, Simon Pegg and me in my head both said a bike. And I remember thinking like, that's so weird. How, why? Okay. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but then I was like, well, why did I say bike in my head? And then Darren Brown walks backwards and he points out all the things that he said. He points out that as they were driving Simon Pegg to the place to meet, they drove by a bunch of bike shops and they had like lots of wheels spinning. And, um, and then the, the language that Darren Brown was using, he kept saying things that sounded like he was about to say bike or he would say, for example, he was like, maybe you want a BMW or an Xbox. But the way he said it was like, maybe you want to, maybe you want a BM or an Xbox. And what you hear is BMX and all like add a whole bunch of those to it. And at the very end, your brain just heard bike repeated like a hundred times without saying it. So there's part of your brain that just wants to put those pieces together and say bike. So when someone's like, okay, now what do you want? So this is like a very specific anecdote, but that for, for once I was like, I was literally just brain controlled while I was cognizant of it. And now that you're showing me how it was done, like now I understand exactly how you did it. And wow, that's crazy because anyone that doesn't, that doesn't get this and isn't watching this and understanding it doesn't realize how easy it is to program someone within a span of five minutes. Cause even in the TV show, even if it took them eight hours to film that it only took me like five to 10 minutes to watch it. And it worked on me too. So that like was a you big said, one. That's, that's you sitting there knowing they're trying to like do something to you. You're, you're you know, you're sort of part of a thing to prove something. So in, in some way you might have 
natural resistors that are up. But even with that, it worked just like that. So imagine extrapolating that to all the advertising, all the movies, everything that we're seeing every single day. It actually makes you think how much of what I want and desire and and crave is actually from me. How much of it is just the brainwashing that's been being pumped into me? 90% if we have to put a number on it. Mm-hmm. And that, that neuro-linguistic programming too, I've, I've been on a... Sounds like a weird thing to say. I've been on a kind of a cult kick lately. I've been watching like a lot of cult documentaries, and that's something that that comes up very commonly. I think it was a big one that they used uh, in the Nexium cult, which really did start oh, off yeah. like a business cult, as all of these things uh, start to do. And for me, I was actually in a, a business cult at one point, um, like 15, 20 years ago. I didn't know what it was until till I kind of like you know heard about them saying something on the internet, then I looked them up on the internet, then I kind of had that, oh shit, I'm in a cult. And then then I left, but very like minor level stuff. Like I think they were just trying to get me to sell stuff. I don't think they were, I never got to the sex cult part if if there was, let's let's put it that way. But I mean, some of this stuff just goes really deep. The the Nexium stuff, it it blew my mind. I kind of knew about it vaguely, but to see it work, you always think like, oh, I'm too smart for this stuff or uh, successful people aren't going to fall for this stuff. But I mean, Nexium could pull in very successful actors, producers, and basically just brainwash them into just working nonstop for this cult. I mean, cult cult's a charged term. Uh, I, f- I feel like there might be good reasons to join what other people's consider cult. Although in my mind, there's one thing that designates like a true cult and that is the like the sex part. And that's that like everyone's got to be banging the top guy and then he eventually stops all the lowers from banging who they want and then he gets first pick. And that's when I think you're like officially in full on cult status. Okay, well, I never got there. <laughs> right. And so so at that point, like you're just the lower level Masons, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so do you, as you learned more about neuro-linguistic programming, did you start to sort of see its role in not just like the media you saw out there? Did you actually, were you able to see it at any of the the projects that you had worked on in your professional career, whether it's going through Disney or, or whatnot? Yeah, definitely. Although I don't, I don't know if I would consider every instance of it like, oh, that's NLP because I think NLP was some nerds modeling successful patterns of natural behavior. And what they did is they compiled like an entire index of here's all of the successful and, you know, like the most uh, on an average ways to get what you want in social interactions or to convey a message in the clearest way so that you get the result you want. And it's just like a little hand guide. But that doesn't mean that anyone that does the things in the hand guide like went and studied all that stuff and now are using it intentionally. Some people are just born with the gift of gab. They're just naturally charismatic. And what NLP does is it kind of breaks that down into formulas. And that works both ways because I also feel that there's some people that are born with the complete absence of gift of gab and have the exact opposite of charisma. Uh, and, and they just end up being antisocial. And in those cases, NLP can almost be something that can neutralize you. It can bring you at least back up to, uh, like evil playing field, or even then some, especially if you understand the dynamics behind it. So maybe like, is, is somebody, that is naturally charismatic and that could sell you, you know, an uh, ice to an Eskimo as the saying, is that person any more or less nefarious than someone that couldn't have naturally done it, but studied NLP and then does it. I feel like they're both the same person. Even if one had like a preconceived intent, right? Uh, Like premeditated sales. Is that any better or worse than someone that could just sell something to you on the spot? I don't know. Mm. I don't think so. I think it's the same. Uh, that's an interesting way to look at it because, I mean, when you think about it, is there really that much of a difference? I mean, where is the line between manipulation and just charisma? And maybe the actual elements of what what makes that up are pretty much the same in the end of the day. Maybe it's just the awareness of, of whether you're doing it or maybe it's if you're the intent, like you mentioned, if you're intending to manipulate someone and deceive them with the way you're utilizing it, then maybe that's you know something we should look at negatively. But if it's something you're using to level up your game and sort of make yourself charismatic and get yourself you know ahead in life, then maybe it's just a tool and we can look at it either way. 
Well, let, let's say that you're at like a party, right? And it's it's like, okay, it's, an, it's just average party. Nothing's going hopping off. And then all of a sudden someone walks into the room and the party explodes. Like they know the right thing to say. They tell a great joke, like all this. And then like they become the center of focus for a brief moment in time. And like, okay, guys, I, I got to go real quick. Blah, and they leave. You might be like, man, that guy is charismatic as hell. But what if you found out theoretically that they sat down and they rehearsed that thing like <laughs> like Nate like a Nathan Fielder skit right like they sat down and they rehearsed the perfect party entrance the perfect antidote and then and they might they have done the it right wrong time 50 to leave and they left you know yeah they yeah they rehearsed that whole thing fifty times so that when they did it it felt natural like would that change your I guess it might change your impression of him you'd be like well this guy is insane that he practiced it but. At that moment, that first impression, it's still like the results is all that mattered in those cases. So that's an extreme example where, you know, someone did that. But what if they rehearsed it three times just because sure, they were a little yeah. bit nervous? Now, is that nefarious? Okay, what if it was 20? What if it was 50? What if it was 100? What number of times of rehearsal or premeditation does it become creepy or abnormal? Like, it feels arbitrary, right? Because yeah. whatever you say, if it's 50, that could be like, well, it's not 49. And then if you're like, okay, maybe it's 30. I'm like, well, it's not 25, you know? Today's episode of the Mark Claire Show is sponsored by right here, Fox and Sons, foxandsons.com, my favorite coffee brand. And I don't just say that because they're sponsors of the show. I say that because I get a one pound bag shipped to my house. The proof is right here. Uh, every single month, I get my pound of Fox and Sons delivered right to my house. You should too. Of course, I don't expect you to just dive right in with no idea what you're getting into. I want you to go get yourself a sample bag. Go over to foxandsons.com, F-O-X-N-S-O-N-S.com. You can check out the Den Blend Dark, as is my preference, the Tanzanian Peaberry, Brazilian Honey Premp, a bunch of other flavors still to come. Uh, Steven's always mixing it up with new fresh beans. The best part about this business Stephen started it to not only relive his love for sharing coffee with his father, but to teach his own sons about entrepreneurship. If that doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies, I don't know what will. Just kidding. Yes, I do. This coffee will. So head over to foxandsons.com, F-O-X-N-S-O-N-S.com. Use discount code MCS to get yourself 18% off your order. You're going to be coming back for more. Trust me. Foxandsons.com, discount code MCS. Back to the show. And either way, if all this fictional guy is trying to do is be the life of a party and maybe fix his social awkwardness and he has to rehearse a little bit to do that, I don't really see what the harm is in that case when we're talking about the end goal of make a party fun or or have a good night or whatever. So I suppose it really just comes down to the end goal itself. Otherwise, like you said, it is kind of arbitrary. It is just whatever you or I in any one moment think, oh, well, that's wrong because this guy spent time figuring it out and this guy was born with this kind of charisma. Yeah, and then I, I guess the, the next progression from that is the like the pickup artist culture mm. that was also big in like the early two thousands that kind of bled into and and um, you know cannibalized on the NLP crowd. But you take that same aspect and apply it to like the dating world, where there would be guys that would be again like there's a line right like if you practice this exact same line fifty times over on various people just waiting for it to hit kind of crafting. But it also feels a little bit like how a stand-up comedian might work a bit out the very first few audiences they throw out, uh, you know, like maybe nothing lands and they don't really understand the joke themselves. And then after a certain point, they realize which ones work, how to read the room in certain ways. So it's, to me, it's a, again, it's the difference between, uh, if someone just has like a shortcut and they can immediately become efficient at doing this kind of stuff versus like slowly organically putting it together. And it's hard to say that one's nefarious and one's not regardless of intent. So we got here because you said this was one that sort of pulled you in a little bit further and of that you really control, dove into yeah. too deeply less. So is that, is that kind of where it led you into the idea of mind control and MK ultra and that sort of thing? Well, this was this was like okay, this is real, even at a very simple level, like a TV show. This is what show. they admit. This is what they have fun TV shows about, you know. Right, and and it worked within five to ten minutes. So if if that's possible, maybe there's something more to it. So then I got really obsessed with Darren Brown and NLP, um, and then that led to the some of the originators of of NLP, which is John Grinder and Richard Bandler. I even did a an actual NLP training course with Richard Bandler. By pure coincidence, it was running like walking distance from the apartment I was living at here in Orlando back like 20 years ago. 
So this got me deep. And then he admitted that he had trained the military. And he does that to like, you know, hype himself up a little bit like, oh, I've trained spies. You know, give me another 50 bucks for this extra class or certification. Right. But, Be but the next it Jason was born. And it was true. And then what was like the men who stared at goats had come out somewhere around there too. And that this is where the intersection for me kind of ends is like once they would start saying you can like stare at a goat long enough and it explodes or, you know, you can like move things with your mind. I, I lose a lot of interest there just because I've never seen anyone do that. And I feel like there'd be a PT Barnum out there that would charge you 10 bucks to see somebody do it. And the fact that there's not means that maybe it's not as possible as someone thinks, but all the stuff Stuff that did work i was fascinated with and then it was a lot of the mk ultra research gets into okay all of that nlp now add drugs now add <laughs> torture now add seaplep deprivation and add all of the weird stuff that only the military could get away with like the psychic driving and the enforced you know um giving them experimental drugs and then it was like okay this makes sense and yes there's probably something really crazy that you could do to somebody and I think I got really deep into like the the programmed assassins and the RFK assassination and JFK and anything that was like a MK Ultra, you know, mind controlled assassin. I obsessed over that particular topic for a really long time. So that was kind of like the big entry point. Well, I can see how that particular topic would, uh, you know, make you pretty uh, get you pretty in deep because it's one of those that you run into almost literally no matter what topic you look into. If you're looking into assassinations, political assassinations, if you're looking into serial killers, if you're looking into cults, you're going to keep running into these same intersections with military intelligence, uh, with MKUltra, with psychedelic experiments. It All roads tend to lead to the same place with a lot of this stuff. Well, yeah, secret societies are nothing more than old versions of intelligence agencies. It's pretty much all they were. Um, and then when you get into psychedelics, secret societies tended to have a complete monopoly over psychedelics and drugs of any kind. Even today, uh, I would make an argument that the CIA has far more control over the drug trade than most other organizations out there, probably even including the DEA. I don't know. Um, so, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of the times, all of this stuff leads to the same angles. And then this also perfectly layered on top of me going through the military because when I went through boot camp that was another big like in my face I'm seeing it happen before my very eyes type of I said mind control brain programming I mean those words sound a little inflammatory but anyone that's been through boot camp would probably be like oh yeah that's of course that's you know brainwashing of course that's exactly what that concept is but to see people like literally break down and stop making rational decisions for themselves and just immediately go into, I'll do what I'm told because nothing else I'm doing is correct. And that's, that's, that's one of the very first things that they do in boot camp is they teach you that you don't have the capability of making your own decisions. So if you think you should have turned left, someone's going to yell at you and say, turn right. And then if you turn right, someone else will yell at you and say, turn left. And they'll just keep doing that until they can almost see a visual change in like your posture and your, the way that you emote and everything. And it's like, okay, we got that one, move on to the next. And you could almost see it happening assembly line style. Like, oh, they're going to go after that guy because he's puffing his chest out a little too much. And sure enough. So, I mean, seeing that kind of stuff in action, was another big one of like there's like this is real this this all this concept that I've read about and seen in X Files and like snapping your fingers and somebody goes from a jovial well informed person to just an absolute robot that walks over and punches somebody like that a hundred percent exists no question in my mind now how would you do that and that's where that's where the the rabbit hole got deeper at some point did you start to kind of realize like oh wait all the stuff that I saw. And like you said, the X-Files, all this media that I've been seeing that it's actually portrayed as science fiction. It's portrayed as kind of on the verge of being somewhat absurd or somewhat ludicrous, uh, something that couldn't really happen. And then as you sort of dive into these little, you keep again running into these things. Well, wait a minute. I, oh, the X-Files did an episode about that. Or I saw this on the Sutter show. At some point you realize everything that I'm uncovering has actually already been presented to me in some way. And I'm curious like how you sort of wrapped your mind around that as you started to see it. I mean, you figure out really quickly too, though, that it's like more boring than the TV show version. So like the X-Files one, it's always like, 
um, some really hard evidence, like they find the alien in goo inside of this vial somewhere, or they like meet the girl and they see her shapeshift into a doppelganger. Like there's always this very aha, definitive proof, see Scully, and then she's always got a way to weasel out of it. But in real life, you never really get that. You like the best that you can really come up with in proof is just like a really strong hunch based on these like eight books and maybe this article. And at any point, someone could just be like, yeah, but those books were all fabricated or those were all written by, you know, some spook or whatever. And it all kind of crumbles. And that's sort of the the closest basis that any of us have on any of this. And and also maybe awkward segue where this was like the premise for my first comic series ever of time samplers. Cause it, the idea was that you could never prove any of this stuff unless you somehow had like a time machine to bring mm-hmm. somebody back and be like, look, here they are doing it. Here's <laughs> here. We are in the middle of a skull and bones initiation ritual. Here we are at federal, <laughs> um, at Jekyll Island as they're signing the federal reserve and talking about how they're intentionally doing this to bankrupt the country and all this. So that was one of the first things was like, well, if you can make a comic and a comic is a, a vehicle to show something that would be impossible to do or very expensive with all the 3D and stuff, it's like that's what I want to do. I want to do that thing where you bring people back in past and you say, look, they're doing it right now. There, the conspiracy's proven. Let's go to the next one. And I just wanted to make a comic where they just, ju- Bill and Ted, expose conspiracy theories back to back to back. <laughs> Conspiracy Bill and Ted. I haven't seen that one. I am looking forward to Chaos Twins. It's not that awkward of a segue because I, w- I wanted to get into this and let's let's just go there now. Why don't you describe a little bit about your the project that you've been working on with Sam Tripoli? I already have my my order, my Indigo. I think it's Indiegogo, right? Um, yep. I, already, oh, yeah. I already have that my my in place. But describe a little bit about how you guys came up with the idea for this particular uh, this particular book and and what people can expect from it. So the so the long story short premise of this is that we just wanted to make a comic book that would be that would be readable by kids and their parents and have something for both of them and also kind of edge towards you know having more critical thinking and it just not leaning towards mainstream at all so for example it's got reptilians it's got the concept of people being brainwashed and not understanding what's going around unless they like really try and understand it and like do their own research But at the same time, there's like no profanity, no over the top violence, no crude humor. So it's very, it was a little bit out of both of our, our wheelhouses in that way. Like we want to put dick jokes in everything and we want to always make like the offensive joke to kind of, you know, get a laugh or, or shock somebody. But this is a completely different approach to that where it's like, if this information and these concepts really have as much merit, they don't always need to be draped and kind of like over the top and stuff. And this is also in a good way, it's like the normalization of accepting cryptids and conspiracy theories uh, as as like you know a normal thing. Again, like bringing back the X the X Files concept of like that '90s where it was almost mainstream to be a little bit distrustful of the government. And I feel like we've gone 180 degrees from that in a lot of ways. So. Chaos Twins was the the very first sort of sample dipping our toe into that. And the response, as you could see, was like absolutely overwhelming. I'll be I'll, I'm going to have serious paper cuts and I'll be, be like boxing comics up for the next month or so once we get them all printed out. But obviously people want this. They definitely want to see more. And I don't know if it's just Sam Tripoli and Paranoid American or if they really want to know, you know, more about kids that are interested in like this, this, uh, um, sort of like a Nancy drew meets X files. I think that might be a good, like really simple elevator pitch for this, but there's a, there's a ripe audience that really wants to see this kind of content. So we've got a huge, huge number of today's episode of the Mark Claire show is sponsored by right here. Fox and Sons, foxandsons.com, my favorite coffee brand. And I don't just say that because they're sponsors of the show. I say that because I get a one pound bag shipped to my house. The proof is right here. Uh, Every single month, I get my pound of Fox and Sons delivered right to my house. You should too. Of course, I don't expect you to just dive right in with no idea what you're getting into. I want you to go get yourself a sample bag. Go over to foxandsons.com, F-O-X-N-S-O-N-S.com. You can check out the Den Blend Dark, as is my preference, the Tanzanian Peaberry, Brazilian Honey Prep, a bunch of other flavors still to come. Uh, Steven's always mixing it up with new fresh beans. The best part about this business 
Stephen started it to not only relive his love for sharing coffee with his father, but to teach his own sons about entrepreneurship. If that doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies, I don't know what will. Just kidding. Yes, I do. This coffee will. So head over to foxandsons.com, F-O-X-N-S-O-N-S.com. Use discount code MCS to get yourself 18% off your order. You're going to be coming back for more. Trust me. Foxandsons.com, discount code MCS. Back to the show. Them coming out now because the original concept was to make an animation and I uh, was like, well, let's slow down, you know, and animations takes a lot of time and we've got, you got to do all the character development. You got to get some storyboards together and there's a really good way to kind of have a middle ground where you work on a comic first, establish the audience, make sure that the characters are fleshed out. And then once that hits, then turn it into an animation. Well, it only took one issue and we're already working on the animation for it now. Sweet. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Why don't you go ahead and get that plug in now? We'll continue the conversation, but so we don't forget, and because people need to hear it, where can they go find that find that so, uh, the campaign? ChaosTwins.com, and wherever whatever state the project's in, ChaosTwins.com will bring you to where you can get a copy. Right now, it redirects to the Indiegogo page. Uh, the initial campaign raising is over, so now you can basically pre-order a printed copy. You get an exclusive sticker, all that good stuff. And then for everyone that, that got a copy... Uh, while it was running, you get extra stuff. You'll get some extra prints. Uh, if you got a signed copy, Sam's going to be flying to Florida, uh, where I'm based out of, and signing all those on like a little live stream, and we'll do a bunch of shout-outs and stuff. So we're going to definitely make it into like a whole event. But yeah, chaostwins.com is where you can find that book. And even if you're watching this in the future, uh, hopefully it brings you and you can buy like all six and the DVD and the animation and the stuffed animal and, and tickets to the Chaos Twins theme park. We'll see. The link will always get you to some shit is, is the point. Correct. Um, cool. Well, you know, I, something you mentioned earlier about kind of how it was almost becoming like normal in some way in the 90s with shows like the X-Files and things like that to sort of you know, question things or what have you or think the government is up to something. I, I feel like we're in a very interesting time now here where, I mean, I think I first got into this stuff with like the Art Bell and the Bill Cooper kind of edge of things where I didn't know anybody that had ever heard of these guys or who I didn't know anybody who listened to coast to coast AM or any of this stuff. But now I feel like my dad has heard of Alex Jones, you know, like it's, it's, it's a very strange time where a lot of this stuff. And and now I think maybe more than ever, I mean, yesterday there's a live stream with like Elon Musk, Tucker Carlson, Alex Jones. And you're just like, what universe is this? This used to be where I had to go. You know, I literally used to listen to Art Bell like on an actual radio, like <laughs> late at night with the lights off. And it's it just seems like things are. I, I don't know if mainstream is quite the word for it, but I guess where I'm trying to go with this is that the more that this kind of conversation gets mainstreamed, the more I kind of distrust a lot of, a lot of what I see. And I, I wonder if you see that at all. How much you see of of conspiracy narratives, how much of them you think are being controlled in some way? Because the, the more I sort of zoom out on things as someone who's, I guess, been, uh, an, I guess, enthusiast, I don't know if enthusiast is the word, but someone who's been into this stuff in some way for close to probably 30 years now, I, I look back on a lot of stuff, a lot of rabbit holes that I went down. And I, I just think some of the, some of it looks like, was I just meant to spend a bunch of time on this? Was I, was I just meant to be distracted by a lot of this stuff? And I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Maybe I think the entertaining aspects of it you were supposed to be distracted on. A good examples, uh, like if you get really in deep into the culture, the whole predictive programming or revelation of the method, the lesser key of you know one of the lesser keys of magic, where essentially it's either that revealing the people what you're going to do ahead of time through TV or whatever uh, frees you of the karmic debt of doing the action itself. I, I like that as a philosophical idea. I don't think that there's any merit to that. I don't I would doubt anyone actually believes that. Then there's also other aspects where they're just not very creative. Um, and when I say they, you know, fill in the blank. I don't I don't even know what the the they would be. Um, but this this is a, another interesting aspect of it is because when you say the they and you imagine that there's like this, this, you know, some individual, let's say Bill Gates has ultimate control and he can destroy you. To me, that's the closest that modern man is going to accept a new mythology. Like where it seems unrealistic for anyone to come out and just start inventing new gods out of nowhere and have them taken seriously, right? So even like the, all the over-the-top explanations of stuff, you have to relate it to what people already know. But 
conspiracy theories in my mind are sort of like this new mythology. The whole like JFK was uh, maybe killed by aliens. Maybe it was by the mafia. Maybe it was by the CIA. We'll never really know. Who actually knows? Maybe it could have been an interdimensional thing. Um, and then there's a, 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 a line from, I think it's a Peter Lavenda book. I hope I don't get that wrong. Sinister Forces, but it's like in between pages and it just says, was the Kennedy assassination a particle or, or a wave? And to me, that's like <laughs> chef's kiss way of, of trying to explain this um, because it, it it sort of conveys that idea that conspiracy theories really can be the, this new mythology. Like no one, I'm going to go out on a limb and make a grand assumption. I don't usually like to say uh, absolutes, but I'll say I don't think a lot of people believe in Medusa and that there was a real lady that turned her hair into snakes and she could turn you into stone. I'm fairly open people, to it. <laughs> you might be open, but I don't like if you did a, a wide, you know, poll, I feel like it would be a small minority of people that I'd believe that. Yeah. Now, if you took that same poll and said Hillary Clinton can turn into a shape-shifting reptilian, she eats babies. I feel like you'd get more people that unironically would say that they do believe that. And to me, there's not a lot of difference between those two things. The only one is that one is silly because you're talking about silly stories from 3000 years ago. And the other one's about a real person that I, I know probably does that in real life. And it's like, <laughs> how is that not just a modern version of Medusa? But everyone thinks that we're so scientific and rational that they don't connect those dots. But it, this is the closest that we come to this. And it's, and it's the same thing where someone's got their finger on a button or, or someone's commanding like all of the blue umbrellas and cars to not set on fire when there's a natural disaster. And like, to me that, I mean, this is Zeus throwing, you know, lightning down from the skies because you've angered him in some way. That's NASA and using harp to burn down, you know, a village or something. So that Oprah's got more room. I, I equate them to similar things, but I also I also mean that in a in a less uh, condescending way, in that I think that there's enough truth to them that they warrant looking into. Like I don't, I don't know if Hillary Clinton actually like grows green scales and whatnot, but she might be able to shift into like a cold blooded mode and then snacks on a few babies. I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps, uh, I, and maybe that is the way to look at conspiracies. Kind of like our modern mythologies because look, maybe, and this is the way, I mean, I think when, when we grow up learning about Greek mythology, Roman mythology, most of us look at it as just silly stories. I think now I look at it as silly stories that might have some reality to them. And there might even be Medusa like creatures or whatnot that were around back then or something, something close enough that they kind of were onto something and had the right idea. And maybe that's the, the deal with the conspiracy world. Maybe there's a lot of stuff. We just can't really know the details because we don't, we are not the time samplers. We can't go back and literally sit in the room in Jekyll Island. Uh, we can't go back and literally figure out if JFK assassination was a particle or a wave, but we can see enough and we can piece enough together that we, it, it sort of weaves through as this modern mythology. And I, and I do wonder how like our, our modern day conspiracy theories are going to be looked at down the road, uh, like how things like JFK, 9-11, if they're going to be looked at at all, how do those get weaved into, are they seen as as crazy stories from the past or are they seen as as the mythology of the times that they look back and, and question how we were filtering things then? Well, they, they'll have way more context, maybe, unless there's like a huge... Uh, EMP and it just wipes out all storage and it's it's back to things that were just written. But I to, to take that concept that you're mentioning to like some kind of a, a funny logical conclusion. But imagine a thousand years from now, people are digging up the remains of America and they're like, it's weird. This this culture every November they would get together and worship this bird. They would do these sacrifices to this Turkey and they would, they might consider that everyone had some sort of an affinity to like the bird of the Turkey and that maybe we venerated it and had stories about it just because they're, they're going to find all this like Turkey symbolism from Thanksgiving uh, decorations and stuff. Right. But really how many people that celebrate Thanksgiving and turkeys are actually ever venerating a turkey or thinking about a turkey or dressing a turkey up like a pilgrim. That's all sort of like these weird things that evolved around the culture that 
kind of hint to it, like these these weak symbols that don't really represent. Like if someone just showed you a turkey wearing a pilgrim outfit and you didn't understand all the ba- the concept of it, that symbol is almost meaningless to you. So there is a very real possibility in the future. Someone's like, oh yeah, Americans, that was that country where they like worship turkeys. We don't, we, ne- we haven't figured it out yet, but they worship turkeys. And, and you'd laugh a little bit, but we think back like, oh, that's that culture that like worshiped bulls or they worshiped, you know, this animal animal you can some people have made the case like oh they worship cows and it's like oh they've always done that well maybe or maybe someone just read that one day and thought that they meant literally worship a cow and then they started doing it and other people started doing it and uh and to to maybe jump on a, a tangent that i think makes this point too this concept of like the sacred mushroom and the cross. I don't know if you ever heard of like John Allegro's work yeah, and stuff, but it, yeah. long story short, Santa is a mushroom. Jesus is a mushroom. Holy grail is a mushroom. Everything is a mushroom. Everything's a mushroom um, right. But I think that there's some validity to that too, because they make this case that in modern day, like in the Catholic mass and they have the transubstantiation, they turn the Eucharist into the you know body of Christ and they have similar rituals and other religions and cultures across the world. But there's a theory that originally that Eucharist was a highly potent psychedelic and that it was such a coveted thing that only the priests knew about it, but they kept that secret so hidden so well that at some point, like someone didn't pass it on to the next guy in line and they were just like, well, crap, I remember them always having these like white things. Uh, let's here, let's make a cracker. Let's make, you know, th- we'll make it out of bread and start giving it out. And then it's like, what would be the difference between going to church and getting a high dose of psilocybin versus going to church and eating a cracker? But if people convince themselves, well, that's just how it's always been done, they might be missing that like a really big component that got taken out. So I don't know. I hope hopefully that conveys some of the point. I know it was a tangent. Yeah, well, the show is all about tangents. I, I was actually laughing before because I was thinking about, you know, I, I, I'm one who will see like, you know, these Graham Hancock documentaries and they'll see them, you know, worshiping the snake god and they'll say, well, they, you know, he'll never go as far as like there was actually a snake god or something like that. He'll just he'll say there were advanced humans. Maybe I'll go as far as like, well, maybe there's a snake god. I don't know. Maybe there's some weird snake creature. But now I'm just kind of laughing. Like, I don't know. Maybe they were just having their version of Thanksgiving and they fucking ate snakes. And, <laughs> and I'm the one taking it, making it into a whole thing about snake gods. I Yeah, but there's there's also something to be said about uh, taking those traditions like the turkey with the pilgrim and stuff. The reason why that symbol is potent is because it's like over the top and it really like drives it in. And it's almost like a mnemonic device where like you see it and it's like, oh, yeah, pilgrims and turkey. And that's what we eat. And then um, someone's got the buckles on the shoes. and You're like, oh, yeah, Mayflower. okay, or like so it, it, it reminds you of all these different components. But, yeah, if you're from the outside looking in, you might not realize that that snake has exactly 83 scales because that's how many villagers, you know, were in the first plot of land or who knows what all those intricate sort of symbols that might be lost to time at this point. I mean, like the Sphinx, right? Like we don't even know if there's even a record of the Sphinx real face at any point. And that could have had like the, the original Konami code or something on the front and we would just <laughs> never know. Right. Right. Um, I, I'm curious sort of how you view some of the more, absurd things out there like what are your i mean you talk a lot about various conspiracies but i'm curious what you what you really think about certain things like for example i mean you mentioned hillary being a potential reptilian shapeshifter hates babies i know you're saying that somewhat jokingly and hyperbolically but how much are you how how how, what what's the craziest thing you think could be true is sort of sort of what i'm getting at uh so i'm i'm not a huge fan of alien theories and stuff um, I get also on the PG side, the craziest thing is that simulation theory. We're all just a simulation. You were actually just put here for my own entertainment that, you know, made like, um, Neo in the matrix kind of thing. On the other end, I don't believe in shape-shifting reptilians, but I do believe in people doing incredibly extreme and horrifically, uh, sadistic things even if they otherwise appear like a normal functioning person in society, including a high ranking politician that might be bathing in blood and 40 minutes later on TV, giving an enthusiastic, you know, pep speech. So I do think that there's something to like the spirit cooking accusations. And I don't think that it has to involve black magic or demons. I think that there might be something to, bringing yourself to the absolute brink of, of sanity 
or just pushing yourself to absolute extremes that those that live in the top zero, you know, point zero 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 one percent that they might be either so desensitized or they might almost see it as if not me, then who, if not now, then when, if not someone with my resources and the ability to do these extreme thing, you know, like if, if I'm not going to be the one that gets on the Epstein flight, it'll be someone else. So might as well be me kind of mentality, extrapolate that to the worst possible claims made out there. And I think that there's enough possibility that they're all possible. But if you talk about like aliens and shape-shifting and uh, supernatural interdimensional powers and that, I'm not sure if I'm as on board. You'd have a harder time selling me on it, but I don't discount any of it. Interesting. Have you, so have you ever had any sort of supernatural or weird paranormal-esque experience of your own? No. The only, the closest would kind of be like that NLP type thing and also mm-hmm. just absolute extreme coincidences. For example... Um, and, and I don't know how, like for me, I've got this rule, right? Like coincidences probably exist, but how many would you be able to do in a row until you were like, okay, this isn't coincidence anymore. Like if you, if you were flipping a coin and you got three heads in a row, do you think you're supernatural? What if you did it 50 times in a row? What if you did it a hundred times in a row? At some point you're going to be like, there's either something up with me or the quarter or like Mm -hmm. the the spot that I'm in, this is how athletes will like develop like their lucky jock strap or their lucky socks. And like, they always wear the socks for this game because something, something happened that they couldn't explain consistently enough that they're just like, I'm going to do this thing. And that's what magical thinking is in a, in a big way. Um, so I think that there's, there's something to that aspect of it, but also that there might be something real behind all of it. Is so, that, like, does, does that tie in a little bit to what you mentioned about possibly believing like a simulation type theory? Um, maybe I, I, I don't know because the simulation theory is the old, it's like the ultimate conversation breaker in my mind because the second two people both admit, yeah, we're probably both in a simulation. Like, what are we even talking about then? Like we're like, you know, like all our conversations are both simulated. They're all preordained. So, or just kind of passive observers and what we think is an active conversation, but one, a practical Why would example they program of, us to talk about the program. What <laughs> exactly, one of the, like a practical example of one of these weird coincidences, there's been numerous times that I was just like testing myself and I'd be like, there's a dictionary there. I'm just going to open it up to this word, like right on the page, everything. And it, and it happened. Um, and I don't, I don't know, like, and I, and I wouldn't be able to do it every time, but it, it happened more than two or three times. And it's like, do I actually know, like, am I feeling the exact page out of this, like 800 plus pages of thin paper? Do I actually know where this word was inherently? And I just opened up to it or was it a coincidence or is there some other weird synchronicity going on? I lean towards coincidence, even on those cases, but Whenever someone brings this up, that's the first thing that I think of is like those those more than a few times that I was like, I'm going to open up the word snake and just on the first open up of a book or not the dictionary because you might be able to figure, okay, snake is going to be maybe in the middle towards the end. So just like I'll open up that book right there and I want to see the word, you know, bacon and to be able to open it up and just immediately see the word on the first page you turn it to. Um, I don't know. That's, that's as woo woo as I get. And I know it's so that, not seen big. You've done that then you've just randomly thought I'm going to look, I'm going to find this word and boom, there it is. Yeah. And, and it's, it was a hundred percent part of magical thinking. Cause I remember as a kid too, where I'd be like uh, a bad example, but I'm like, I'm looking for my retainer. Or I'm looking for my game boy. Right. And I've looked freaking everywhere. And then I, I look over to like my desk drawer and I think, Oh, it's probably in there. Okay, I'll make a bet. If it's in there, then I'll go and like clean my room or I'll go and do something nice for so and so. Like you're you're making these like little agreements and it was almost like a mini version of like praying, like dear God, if I find my Game Boy in that desk drawer. But it was it wasn't God, it was a more of a magical language of the birds thing. And a lot of a lot of people do this without realizing it, but it's like, "Oh, I'm I'm on the fence on whether or not I want to go to this party." And then like it becomes a little bit overcast and it's like, Oh, that's, that's a sign. It's a sign that something's not going to go right. Or like, you know, a big uh, flock of black ducks will walk by. You're like, Oh, that's a, that's a sign. I'm going to go back inside and not do that thing. I was about to do like none of these mean anything. It's, it's magical language, but I think that 
that's kind of the closest that I could uh, speak to is that like some of that magical language feels like it works for people. I, I've and trust me, stuff like this, I when it does quote unquote work, sometimes I'll just still be like, well, maybe I'm just telling myself that because it seems so mind blowing. My my wife is Mexican and she's uh yeah, she's into some woo woo stuff, <laughs> you might say. But uh ever since I met her, she's always had this thing when we're missing something. This is a thing she's done all her life. She asks and prays to this like specific saint, like, can, can you please help me find this thing? So it's just something like she do now now and again. If we can't find this thing, she'd like to ask whatever. And so and it, it honestly does work like almost every time. And the, the idea is if it doesn't work, it's fucking gone. So then just let it go. And what, what the craziest time of this is we, we couldn't find her to keep these car keys anywhere. And we're just like going nuts. Like, I know they were there. I can't find them. She's like, right, just ask San Antonio. San Antonio. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. And I, I sincerely, because I really wanted to find them. I'm not joking. And, and then the idea is you got to like forget it and then go look and, you know, you'll find it. I'm not joking. We did this. And before we could even move, the keys fell from the fucking ceiling. They just <laughs> fell out of the, uh, that, literally just like there was nothing. We were not near any top shelf, anything that it could have fallen off of. They literally just immer em emerged out of the sky, like, and fell on the floor. It was the weirdest fucking thing. Cause there was just so no way I could rationalize where they came from. If that happened one time, then like you might think about it a lot. If it happened 10 times, you might be like, okay, there's something to this. So mm -hmm. that's where my mind usually goes. Like, I've had a lot of those one or two or three time experiences, but maybe not as many where I'd be like, okay, I'm going to quit my job and, and recluse from society and just <laughs> ultra focus on how my keys just fall from the sky and figure out what, what there is to this. So I haven't gone that far into it. But that's the close. Yeah, being able to open a book directly to a word is the closest that I've got to like an alien abduction or a Bigfoot encounter story. So interesting. So uh, what what like inspires you to do that? Is it just a random thing that you I, I'm so fascinated by it? It makes you want to like try it right now. But what what is this a random thing that you think to do? For no reason sometimes? Uh, it's it's usually to like make a decision for it. Could have been stupid as like, should I make a, a salad or a sandwich? And it'd be like, you know what? If I go and I open this book up and I do this, or if I, you know, if, if it's an even it's page, I'll do this, if it's an odd page. It's and it was it's just like a funny like game of like divination because I don't really believe in divination. Um, but it's it's the equivalent of you know flipping a coin and but when you do when you do things often like that, I don't know if you ever read, um, oh God, uh, Prometheus Rising by Anton uh, Robert Wilson or Robert I'm, Anton. I'm aware Wilson. of it. I haven't read it. So the the whole book is basically a whole bunch of mind experiments, and one of them is that you tell yourself that you're going to find money on the ground, and you just t you just tell yourself that I'm going to oversimplify, but you just constantly tell yourself you're going to find money and to just constantly look at the ground and more chance than not, you will find money on the ground. And the book is making this point of like, are you manifesting the money on the ground because you're putting so much focus and intention in it? Or maybe you're just now aware of your surroundings way more than you normally are um, because you're thinking money and you're looking uh, and normally you might not even look down, let alone be thinking to look at something like you might even walk by it, see it and not realize that you saw it because you weren't thinking to see it. So I personally lean towards the latter. I think that it's kind of like the law of attraction or whatever. It's not that you're attracting something out in the universe through some mystical energy, but you are telling yourself on a conscious and subconscious level, pay attention to the things that would get me to this goal. So it seems to happen more often. But the the premise of that that um, that particular mind experiment in Prometheus Rising, I think, is to poke at that line between the two of like, are you manifesting it or are you just using that as a way to make it more available to you and it was already there? I don't know. It's also a little bit woo-woo. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's woo-woo either way. I guess a little less woo-woo if, if you're just looking at it as I'm just adjusting my perspective and adjusting my framework and the way I sort of navigate the world and therefore I'm going to see things differently. Or you can go as far as like, you know, my mind just controls things and, and, and manipulates the simulation or, or what have you. Um, you know, Thomas, you, you mentioned how you don't really, you know, believe in too much of this, like the alien stuff or interdimensional or whatever, but... I'm sure investigating various conspiracies and whatnot, you always run into um, people that do. And, and by that, I don't just mean like other conspiracy people. I just mean like even in the official investigations and, and the, the CIA and whatnot, you always run into these things like these experiments, like what you talked about, the, the staring accounts experiment. Um, do you think that 
even if you don't think this stuff is real, that to me, what, what I think, I, I don't know what's real. That's what I think. But what I see is there are certainly people in power who either, they either believe a lot of this stuff is real. A lot of the crazy stuff that they do is real. Like Jack Parsons doing the, ba- the, the, uh, whatever the Babylonian workings and before launching rockets, shit like that, or they act like they do for some other reason that I don't know. But so I'm just curious your thoughts on whether that stuff is real or not. There's clearly a lot of people in the government, in secret societies that act like it is. So do you think it is? Do you think it's because they really are accessing some dark sort of other side of things? Or what do you, what do you think their motivation is? And why, why do we see this the common thread no matter where we look? Well, if if I focus on the Jack Parsons thing first, I do think that Jack Parsons was tapping into something. Okay. I don't know if I would agree that it was like an alien entity or that it was like an evil demon or that they made a real homunculus and Marjorie Cameron came to that. I don't know if any of that was true, but there is a very interesting overlap between whatever Jack Parsons was tapping into and his his buddy at the time essentially was L. Ron Hubbard, right? And L. Ron Hubbard then taking that and creating a very successful movement out of it. And just like NLP, um, having like all of the, the auditing sessions and all of the, the techniques that they allegedly teach you in the high ranks. I, I know this from I like say, exposure. Uh, auditing is kind of like a, it's like NLP plus sci-fi. It's like NLP, but we're adding there's aliens in your brain. Well, and, and there's also a lot of like, interesting mind control related aspects of that too, where they train you how to not react to something or at least try to get you to not react. And that includes don't get mad, don't get sad, don't get happy, don't laugh, don't cry. Cause then you're um, letting those thetans control you or yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. But, but if you could see that whatever the end goal is, okay, it's here. We're purging your body of thetans, but what we're really doing is we're training you to know how to suppress emotions and, mm-hmm. and sort of like jump into different personalities. And you can kind of see why that in particular is so popular with actors because that's kind of what actors do all the time is, you know, don't cry. Okay, cry. Okay, now be mad. Okay, now be happy and just be able to do it like you're, you're putting on a hat and taking it back off. Um, but but to to wind back, so we got we got this to Hollywood and Scientology through Jack Parsons. The other aspect of that is like if there's all these people that believe in aliens and dark entities and all this, I do believe some of them believe in that, and I'm not here to discount it. Although my to my skeptic hat again, it, it goes to P.T. Barnum, where I feel like there would be a modern day. P.T. Barnum on TikTok that's like <laughs> the next person to tip me, you know, a thousand carat coins uh, will make chat. this ghost do a, yeah, uh, the next person in the super chat will make the ghost do a dance. Uh, you know, the ghost will do a TikTok dance or something. And as silly as that sounds, I, a hundred percent, I really, truly, unironically believe that capitalism is such a strong force that there'd be someone out there pimping a ghost on TikTok for likes and shares and, you know, buy the t-shirt. And the fact that there's not even been one with the advent of everyone with a camera in their pocket and everything, like someone would have a Bigfoot strip dancing on OnlyFans at this point if there was a (laughs) modicum of possibility that they were out there. And then when you start getting into this kind of rationale, the the explanations tend to be like, oh, well, they're interdimensional. They just phase out of existence. It is funny you say that because I noticed that somewhere around 10, 15 years ago, when we suddenly got, everyone had, you know, great cell phone cameras and whatnot, suddenly everything became interdimensional. (laughs) Yeah. And, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, they, um, they, a ghost won't show up for an iPhone because that's a digital camera. Yeah, they're Samsung, uh, they're Samsung guys, so. <laughs> right, yeah, the, the ghosts are Samsung guys. But I, I almost guarantee that pro- someone probably also said that about like the Polaroid when the Polaroid came out. Like, oh, you can't do that with a Polaroid. You need an old, um, you know, like daguerreotype or something and, and it'll go back and there'll probably be in 50 years. Someone will be like, oh, you can't get ghost pictures on, on your, whatever your neural link because it's too advanced, but you could, if you had an old like iPhone that my grandpa right, had. Right, an old iPhone, so like, yeah. it'll, it's like this, it's like this shifting uh, goalpost that it'll, the technology we have now is always too advanced for the ghosts, except right. for in 50 years when it'll be like the only thing that would have worked, but no one's got <laughs> the working parts anymore. Right. Um, the, it's the same thing too with like the ghost, uh, the spirit boxes and stuff uh, where it's like, so you're telling me that a ghost now needs to understand how to manipulate and, and like 
if I'm a ghost and I want to talk to you through the FM radio, do I have to understand how FM works now at this point? Do I have to understand a four-year transform? <laughs> do I have to go and to like, like all the radio engineering and, school now? Is in, in ghost I mean, that's I mean that's the best explanation I've heard of because how else does a ghost just know how to manipulate the Ouija board? I get right. You move this thing. There's the letter. That but I can to, believe. Like, what if it's encoded? Do you think that a ghost could like you know in, infiltrate in, in like a an encrypted? radio wave and still make a, I don't know. I'm, it gets a little bit silly into that aspect, but that's usually, I like to poke at the seams, right? Okay. What if all mm -hmm. this is true? Then what? And again, if someone throws out, Oh, well it's interdimensional. You won't understand. Oh, it's spiritual. You won't understand. Oh, there's, there's this explanation. Another one I'll throw out there is like uh, a lot of the flat earth or the Tartaria or the ancient kingdom stuff. I don't completely discount that everything in history is a complete lie or fabrication. Although, uh, there's a huge burden of proof uh, to to back that up. But the other one, too, is it feels like this ultimate cheat code that if you just say, yeah, well, Copernicus, Copernicus never existed. Aristotle never existed. Socrates never existed. Anyone that's ever written about anything pre-1800 didn't actually exist. All that's fabricated. If I actually, if we all agree on that and it's like, okay, now what? Like, do we have to reinvent the wheel? Do we have to figure out if cavemen existed? Like what, how far do you extrapolate not believing anything at all you're told or anything that's been written? Um, and very often that doesn't extend to religious books for silly reasons. Well, yeah. And I think that's, it's, it's like the logical end of, so, of following so many it, conspiracies potentially if you could find yourself in certain in a place where you just don't believe everything anything and life becomes meaningless and i've seen this happen i, I i've seen versions of myself in the multiverse that could have gone in those past luckily I, I don't feel like i quite got there it doesn't seem like you quite got there either it seems like you have a pretty good uh level-headed attitude about these things despite despite the moniker so uh thomas please uh take this minute now we're gonna head into the smoke-filled room and i have some uh, other topics i want to pick your brain on but uh before that just let everybody know how they can find your show again plug the book and Anything else you got going on, feel free to plug away. Yeah, everything's at paranoidamerican.com. Uh, if you like comics, it's all there. You can also search Paranoid American on Amazon. I've got coloring books, graphic novels, table books about MK Ultra, all kinds of stuff. There's a book about um, Nazi werewolf chemtrails. That's a real thing. It's a real chapter in that book. Uh, also, I've got crazy stickers. I've got custom toys. I've got music. If you want to listen to a song called Adrenochrome Queen or Clinton Body Count, you can find all of those on Spotify right now. Seriously, if you just go on Spotify and search Adrenochrome Queen, you can listen to that. So there's a million different ways you can uh, get brainwashed by my, my content, my programming. But yeah, go to ParanoidAmerican.com and all other roads will lead from there. Man, that's I, I want to go listen to that so bad. I'm not even sure if I'm ready to go into the next segment yet. I think I got to go listen to that first. I'll try to I'll try to wait. But Thomas, it's been awesome talking to you, and I really want to encourage everyone to check out your work uh, and uh, check out Chaos Twins because I'm looking forward to seeing it myself. Thank you, man. And shout out, Sam. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And remember, if you're listening here on the public feed, that means you're only getting about two-thirds of the conversation because every one of these interviews goes approximately 30 minutes longer in what is called the Smoke-Filled Room bonus segment. To get the complete version of every episode, just become a subscriber to The Mark Claire Show. You can do so on Patreon, on Subscribestar, on Rockfin. You can find all the links you need over at markclair.com. That's markclaire, M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. Until next time, my friends, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.